We have three scripture passages this morning, each that looks to testifying to the endurance of the saints. First, from Psalm 77, beginning at the 11th verse. May God add a blessing to the hearing and the receiving of this holy word. I will call to mind the deeds of the Lord. I will remember your wonders of old. I will meditate on all your work and muse on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is so great as our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have displayed your might among the peoples. With your strong arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. The very deep trembled. The clouds poured out water, the skies thundered, your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind, your lightnings lit up the world, and the earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the mighty waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. And from the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says, Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you, if two or three agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, if a number, another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. And from the book of First Timothy. The saying is sure. Whoever aspires to the office of bishop desires a noble task. Now a bishop must be above reproach. Married only once, temperate, sensible, respectable, hospitable, an apt teacher, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, and not a lover of money. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I am about to do something I've never done before. <laughs> which is to preach someone else's sermon. <laughs> Dr. Avram, as we heard, if you, if you came in late, he is home recuperating from COVID and uh, sends this sermon ahead of him. So like those who would have taken Paul's letters and read them to a congregation, Paul sent a messenger ahead. I guess that's my job today. So you'll hear at certain points in this sermon Wes Abram will he'll share personal stories. Remember, that's his voice, not my voice. Okay. 
So here we go. The words to the hymn we have just sung are by South African Bishop, Archbishop Desmond Tutu, who died on the 26th of December, just a few weeks ago. Today's sermon is a reflection on his life and ministry as it was inspired by the kinds of scriptures we just heard. By his New York Times obituary, Desmond Tutu was born on the 7th of October, 1931 in Klerksdorf, in what is now northwestern part of South Africa. His mother, Aletha, was a domestic worker, and his father, Zachariah, taught at a Methodist school. The young Desmond was a baptized Methodist, but the entire family later joined the Anglican Church. And when he was 12, the family moved to Johannesburg, where his mother found work as a cook in a school for the blind. His father wanted him to become a doctor, but could not afford the school fees. Instead, he studied, instead, he studied to be a teacher, and he left teaching after a short time, feeling that ministry might give him a more direct path to the lives of his people. Desmond was eventually ordained a priest in the Anglican Church of South Africa, and step by step, he became more deeply involved in both church leadership and in social action. This was the time of grossly oppressive racial laws in South Africa called apartheid, which was often justified by a labyrinthine Christian theology. However, the World Council of, Ch of Reformed Churches, our Presbyterian denomination, and other Christian churches officially declared apartheid theology a Christian heresy not justifiable under any interpretation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And a South African confession of faith written in critique of racist theology called the Belhar Confession was, has been accepted into our own book of confessions as an authoritative guide to our faith. Desmond Tutu studied theology at King's College in England and returned to South Africa to serve in Johannesburg and Cape Town where he was eventually named the Archbishop of Cape Town. The Arch, as he was affectionately known, led the South African Council of Churches, trained pastors and shepherded their congregations and worked tirelessly on behalf of poor persons, oppressed persons, and targeted persons. He received the Nobel Peace Prize in 1984. The Arch was known for his impish smile love for jokes and occasional giggles. Yet he was also known for standing up for the gospel truth in the face of opposition, enduring insult, tear gas, and arrest when required. He was a sinner like any of us, and he was also a saint of the church. His life embodies a message we want to hear. We have members of Pinnacle who have met the Arch in person and have stories to tell. But most of us have encountered him only in news stories and mostly during those anti-apartheid years. But I'll bet fewer of us know his equally tireless work since apartheid fell in the early 90s. He crusaded against government corruption, economic injustice, oppression of other peoples around the globe, and for God-inspired reconciliation between enemies. He shaped a message that has helped countless thousands 
My only encounter with him in person was at a lecture he gave in the university chapel in 1995, just three years after he was for the first time allowed to vote in his own country at the age of 62. I told this story from the pulpit 12 years ago, but it seems a good time to tell it again. Dr. Abram says, right. The memory of the ending of apartheid was still fresh in 1995. The Truth and Reconciliation Commission, about which we'll hear more in a moment, was just being set up and a new day was dawning. Tutu's speech wasn't sponsored by the chapel. It was sponsored by a non-religious part of the university and I'm guessing that the chapel just seemed a large enough to be a large enough room and maybe fitting giving Tutu's position. And the chapel was packed. Students, faculty, folks from the community, it looked like whole classes had come together, political science group, history, African study classes. And judging by what I saw, I was, as I watched folks moving into the pews, most of the audience was not familiar with a church sanctuary. After being introduced by all of the requisite mucky mucks, Archbishop stood up to speak, and he gave the appropriate recognitions to the powers that were, and then he began. There are six reasons for the end of apartheid and the new day in South Africa. And I saw the students quickly opening their notebooks and uncapping their pens. The first, Tutu said, and then paused with everyone poised to hear. The first is God. The students near me, pens down and ready to write, looked up from their papers. With a mild look of confused scandal, they wrote nothing. God has been acting all along, Tudu went on, calling people to speak the truth, giving us courage in our suffering, suffering preparing the ground for justice, and then the moment came. God. And as some professors squirmed in their seats, others seemed ready to cheer. The room stayed as quiet as this one is now. And then the arch went on. He listed four more reasons for the end of apartheid, international political pressure, economic pressure, cultural factors, individual enlightenment. And then the students took their notes. And then he came to the final reason. He said, and the sixth reason is God. And there was the essence of a message that Brother Desmond shared. It was always first and foremost about the gospel. Tutu was a servant of the church, charged to both protect and advance the truth of Christ and the values Christ calls all people to. And he was a servant of the Holy Spirit who was always well ahead of us in promoting goodness, redeeming the lost, tending to those who suffer, and inspiring change. Because of this, he could tend to conflict and pain with neither fear nor rage, though he did get angry from now and then. Because of this, he could give his strong message with both a glint in his eye and a taste of joy in his voice. And because of this, he could say that change for good is always a miracle, even when it takes hard work, 
intelligence, sacrifice, and some savvy to get done. God first and God last. And so as political as his work often was, the politics of it was always at the ultimate service of what he came firmly, existentially to believe is the ultimate purpose of Christian social action. Forgiveness, reconciliation, and the creation of a new community of connected people. Forgiveness, reconciliation, and the creation of a new community of connected people. And you don't need to be Christian to experience this. It is the gift God gives us all in Christ. And so Tutu became perhaps the most single most powerful public voice in support of a novel idea in political life, which became South Africa's Truth and Reconciliation Commission. The commission gave victims and victimizers an opportunity to tell their stories, to name the hurts they've experienced or they've caused, to seek reconciliation rather than revenge, and to rediscover freedom. The commission was not perfect in its accomplishments, for it did messy work. But it provided a model of what's called restorative rather than retributive justice. And that's been emulated all over the world, all inspired by the gospel. In 2014, Desmond wrote a small book with his daughter, herself a priest in the Anglican church at that time. And the book was called The Book of Forgiving. I urge you to read it if you can, and then read it again. Tutu writes in that little book, I would like to share with you two simple truths. There is nothing that cannot be forgiven, and there is no one undeserving of forgiveness. When you can see and understand that we are all bound to one another, whether by birth or circumstance, or simply by our shared humanity, then you will know this to be true. I have often said that in South Africa, there would have been no future without forgiveness. Our rage and our quest for revenge would have been our destruction. This is as true for us individually as it is for us globally. Archbishop Tutu later says that forgiveness is the way we mend the tears in our social fabric. It is the way we stop our human community from unraveling. It is how we heal all the holes in our hearts that come with being the fragile creatures we are. This forgiveness is made possible by Jesus who both named and bore injustice without retribution and resolved it all in resurrection. Let's hear that again. This forgiveness is made possible by Jesus who both named and bore injustice without retribution and resolved it all in resurrection. For that reason, forgiveness is a divine gift. Forgiveness is a divine gift come through serious effort. It is not weak. In fact, it's much stronger than revenge. It does not subvert justice. In fact, it shames evil and overcomes evil with good. It does not force us to forget either. 
but it asks us all to see into our own souls and admit the pain there and the potential for doing wrong there and that the distance between each one of us is much smaller than the distance between all of us and God. And so remember the hurts that we've experienced even as we remember the hurts we've caused and let them not overcome us. So it lets goodness guide our future. And Tutu also reminds us that forgiveness is not always easy, not when it requires letting go and choosing healing over rage and freedom over continuing resentment. Guided by the moral clarity and theological depth of Saint Desmond, we can enthusiastically enter the public realm as believers. We can speak boldly and take sides when necessary. We can sue for justice and advocate for righteousness and we can speak truth to power. And we can do it all without distorting the gospel if we remember and always remember that the worldly victory of some partisan passion is not our goal. Our goal and so the source of our power as we work our way through the fray is to see signs of a coming beloved community of imperfect, forgiven and forgiving people, hurtful and hurt alike finding what the arch called a God-inspired mbutu. And that's the traditional African idea of me, we, of realizing that how we relate to each other is who we are, Ubuntu. This is the freedom, the true freedom we seek. And this is the freedom that we build and this is the gospel we both preach and want to embody in our own hearts, in our own families, in our own communities, in our own world. The English news magazine, The Economist, told a story about Archbishop Tutu in its own memorial article. He once joked about dying, the article says. He proposed that owing to a bureaucratic mix-up at the pearly gates, he gets sent down to hell. And a few days later, St. Peter hears a loud knocking, a bang, bang, bang at heaven's gate. And Peter goes to check and he finds the devil furiously knocking. He looks curiously and he says to the devil, Ya Yong, which means in Afrikaans, yes, young one, what are you doing here? And the devil replies, since you sent Tutu down to the warmer place, he's been causing too much trouble. I've come to ask for asylum. <laughs> May that be our witness too, wherever we find ourselves, eager for what's just, eager for what's good, eager for what's right, eager for what's holy, and knowing that while we take little steps Day by day, the only path that will set us finally on our ways is the path of forgiveness, beginning and ending in God, and the devil will flee. Ya u no buntu. Amen. <laughs>